Open your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using a black Bible in your, uh, your chair that's provided for you, that's page uh, 1008. If you also want to put something uh, in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. If you, again, if you're using a black uh, Bible that's provided for you, that's on page 45 in the beginning, beginning of the Bible, the Old Testament. So far in Hebrews 11, we have seen a variety of individuals that have been showcased for us. But in all of that variety, there is a singular quality that's at work in their hearts, in their lives, in their actions. And that, of course, as we've been talking about this whole series, is faith. And as we've discussed over the past several weeks, the author's purpose in enlisting these individuals is not to highlight the person, but the characteristic of faith. We are not to try to emulate the, the character, we are to emulate the characteristic, and that is faith. The author's main point in, in giving us this grocery list of individuals that are listed here is to prove his point that God's people are given a higher calling. A higher calling that it transcends comfort of being accepted. It, ex- it, it, it exceeds the seeking of temporal riches that fade away, of pleasures, of ease, of comfort zones. We've been given as followers of Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, we have been given a higher call. And this morning we're going to see this higher calling of faith in the life of Moses, in verses 23 to 28. If there was ever an individual, I mean, uh, if there was ever an individual that had opportunity to enjoy temporary comforts and the ease of life, the goodness that life had to offer, I mean, it's Moses. It's interesting, even in this ordering that, that we have in Hebrews 11 for us, this ordering uh, of Bible characters, that, that Moses immediately follows Joseph. And that's not just chronologically, that, that you have Joseph that ends the book of Genesis that we've been looking at for so long, and now we come up to Exodus or we have Moses. Not only is this a chronological change, but also conceptual the, the, the thought process here, jumping off of Joseph and going to Moses, is the same. That this author says, okay, here you have the example of how Joseph exercised his faith. And just like Joseph saying no to the riches, the pleasures, the comforts of this world. Because he said, when I die, this this." nation Egypt is not my home you take my body my bones and during the exodus you bring them with you so Moses we have another example that he too sensed the higher calling 
than to what he found from a child. You see, Moses answered the higher call, and my question to you this morning is, are you going to answer your higher call? As a follower of Jesus, as we're going to talk about today, are you going to answer your higher call that, uh, that Jesus gives us in Luke 9.23, says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. No matter who you are this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is your call. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow. We're going to see how that played out in the life of Moses. Let's just read this whole passage just to get a, the thought flow that's given to us here. Starting in verse 23, by faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth Then the treasures of Egypt, boy, is that important, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. In verses 23 and 28, we see uh, natural divisions in this, in this flow of thought by the key words that we have seen throughout this chapter, by faith. Normally, this phrase, by faith, is used to break up the different characters. But when we get to Moses, we see uh, six verses that are dedicated to Moses. He, like Abraham, was a key figure that the author of Hebrews uses to portray as an example of faith. And we are going to break this up this morning by looking at four elements of faith that lead us to answer a higher calling, that help us to understand what exactly is involved in this higher calling that we have been given to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. And this morning, we're going to see these elements. First of all, we're going to see a higher call that's given to us, a faith that leads to faith. We're going to talk about what exactly that means. Secondly, in verses 24 to 26, the second by faith section here, a faith that leads to denial. Thirdly, a faith that leads to perseverance. And then fourthly, a faith that leads to deliverance. The higher calling that we are given involves exercising faith, portraying faith, denial. It involves perseverance in our Christian life. And we see last but not least, it involves deliverance in our lives. All of this to sum up our key. What's our key key theme throughout this whole series? 
You know it without looking? Ah, beat me to it. All right, let's say it. Let's read it together. A faith that testifies is a faith in action. Let's pray. Lord, we come today to study your word at this point in our worship time. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds. Father, that as we have your spirit within us, we realize that the natural man, that individual, those individuals who do not have your spirit, they do not understand the things of God because those things are spirit-led. But Lord, when we have your spirit, you enable us to, to know your word. Father, I pray that we would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit this morning as He teaches us. Lord, not just teaching us factual information about a certain character named Moses, but Lord, teaches us the spiritual truths of how we are to answer this higher call. Of what is involved in in answering and responding to this higher call. Father, would you show us Christ who has paved the way for us as we follow his footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen. Four elements involved in responding to this higher calling that we have been given. If you notice in verse 23, going back to our passage, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The first perspective of a higher call that we have to realize is that there is a faith that actually leads to faith. A faith that leads to faith. It's interesting that as the author brings up Moses by faith Moses He doesn't begin with the actions of Moses, does he? In most of these characters, it says, by faith, so-and-so, and then it talks about the characteristic of faith that they exemplify in their actions. But not so with Moses. It says, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents. So in Moses' life, who were the first ones that exemplified faith? His parents. You see, that is a faith that leads to faith. The formative faith of parents. And we touched on this a little bit last week as we looked at Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph as they they give on their deathbed those blessings. The same blessings that God gave them. And they're passing on that faith to their children. We see here the formative faith of parents. The key principle that we must realize here is the kind of faith, and get this, this is key. The kind of faith that Moses exercised was first exercised by his parents. The kind of faith that Moses exercised was first exercised by the parents. When he was born, he was hidden 
for three months by his parents. You see, in our lives, I wonder what example of faith we are leaving to our children. Now, like we talked about last week, every individual has to come to a moment of of personal faith. We as parents can't make decisions for our children. Boy, don't we want to a lot of times. I mean, that, that, I don't think that stops. I'm not a parent of an adult child yet. But sometimes I notice the struggle it is for, for whether it be my parents or Rachel's parents, the struggle that, that must be evident to say, you know what, that desire to, to just be able to make things better to improve things for my child or to help them in those decisions or maybe sometimes make those decisions for them. That, I don't think that ever goes away. Those of you who have adult parents, is it, does that feeling ever go away? Okay, you're looking at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. So maybe, maybe, maybe I need to be an adult parent first. Does that concern and that desire, oh, you know what, boy, I know, I know they, they need to make this decision, but here's the decision I would make. It ne- I don't think it ever goes away. But individual uh, children must make their own decision. And boy, we'd like to, to, get, involved, to get in their hearts and to, to, to do things. But that is a work of God in their heart. But that does not negate the responsibility that we have to be examples of faith. Because the default, the default picture of Christianity, the default picture of what it means to live a life as a follower of Jesus for your children, whether they will consciously say this or not, is you as a parent. Did you know their default picture of who God is is what they see in you? You talk about a responsibility. Do you know that that's why so many Christians, and you may say, yeah, I'm sitting here myself struggling with this because of my childhood. Uh, So many individuals, they have conceptions of God that they struggle with because of the example of parents. If my earthly father was like this, how can I trust my heavenly father? If my parents, if they didn't really make this much of a priority in their Christian life, then why should I make it much of a priority in my life? You see, before we ever get to Moses' faith, we have to look at the faith of his parents. And there's no big dialogue here about the the heart of faith that the parents have. The author of Hebrews simply says their faith, like the key theme of our series, their faith was manifested in their actions. That leads us to another perspective that we can say all the right things to our kids, but if they see us walking contrary to the things we say, it negates everything. 
I mean, if you're a parent here, if you're a grandparent, if you are an aunt, if you are an uncle, if you are here without kids, there are people that are looking to you that you may not even be aware of that are looking at your example that you are leading in word and in action. We as parents, while we cannot make faith happen in a child's life, we are formative in their faith. We see also in verse 23, not only the formative faith of parents, but the greater perspective of parents when their hearts are full of faith. The end of verse 23, uh, it says their actions, that he was hit the, he, they hid Moses for three months. So Pharaoh's out telling the midwives to cast the babies in the Nile River so that the alligators can eat them. And they say, no, we're going to hide him. How they hid him for three months, a crying, fussy baby, I don't know. But they did. We see the greater perspective of parents. It says, they did this because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You see, first of all, the greater perspective here is they saw the worth of their child. You may say that's interesting that it talks about their child was beautiful. And, and those of you who are parents or, or relatives, you see a newborn baby that's born into the family and think, what a beautiful child. Exodus 2.2, it, it says that he was a fine child. Acts 7.20, Stephen, recalling the story of Moses, says the parents saw that he was beautiful in God's sight. You see, the idea here is not simply one of shallow, oh, well, look, look at that cute little baby. No, they looked upon this new baby. They saw the worth of this child, and they said, we cannot allow the king's edict to come upon this child. This child is of too much worth, of too much value. And I wonder how many times do we spiritually devalue our children by the wrong legacy that we are leaving them? You see, we can say, you know what, my child is of such value because look how talented they are in sports. We can say, look at how valuable my child is because of how they can play that instrument how they can do this, how they can do that. And before we know it, we get caught up in all of these surface things while we leave out the foundation for their life from them. And when we do that, we are not valuing our children at all. One of the things in disciplining our children that, that I often say to our kids is, you know what? Daddy loves you, and because Daddy loves you, I have to teach you these things. You know what? One day, God is going to want to use you. He's using you right now, and that's going to continue in your life. So, so my responsibility as a parent 
is to be able to equip you for God's calling on your life, whatever that may be. That is all of our responsibility. That is the greater perspective of parents. The greater perspective of parents is to be able to say no to some of those temporal things in order that they later on can say yes to what truly matters in life. That is the greater perspective that we are called to have. Not to, not to mollycoddle our children. Is that still a term? <laughs> to try to isolate them. To try to, well, I'm going to take the opinion of my child above the opinion of, all, of everyone else. Man, when I was a kid, my da- back then, when I was in early elementary, you could still get spankings at school. Um, and that was only in the 80s. It was a Christian school. I don't... But anyway, my dad always said, hey, if you get tru- in trouble at school, I'm automatically trusting the, the teacher. I'm automatically trusting them. And whatever happens in school, you're going to get worse at home. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean that, that in certain situations I, I couldn't say, well, here, here's the fuller story. But listen, by default... My parents, in their perspective of what is for ultimate good, overcame that which was easier to make, that decision that was easier to make at the specific time. You see, they saw the true worth of their child. That worth was greater than just that which passes And we also see that their lives were not dictated by fear. They did all of this because they were not afraid of the king's edict. They could have lost their lives for hiding Moses and then putting him in in the ark, the little ark, the little basket. Literally, the Hebrew reads ark. And sending him down the Nile. They could have lost their lives, but they were living for something greater than a life that's dictated by fear. If you turn to Exodus chapter 2 this morning, Tim read this. Verse 1 says, A man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived, bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, daubed it with Uh, bitumen and pitch she put the child in it placed it among the reeds by the riverbank his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him this was not done in fear many times it's so easy to raise children in fear many times it's so easy to be fearful for that which we cannot control listen these parents could not control whether Pharaoh would find out. Listen, there comes a point in time where we realize, you know what, this parenting thing or this mentoring thing, this discipling thing that I am seeking to accomplish in the life of other believers, this is greater than me. I can only be used by God in it. You see, there is a faith that leads to faith. And it starts 
with building those foundations. Many individuals here today possibly would say, you know what, I never had those foundations. I didn't have parents that were followers of Jesus. I, I, I didn't have that. And, and the answer is, let's stop the process of that and let's instill into others what we were not given. Don't let the cycle continue. You know what? If you're here today and, you're, and you say, you know what, man? I do not know God's word like I should, like I could. And it's easy to get discouraged. And, you know, I, I, never ha- I never wasn't raised in church, didn't have that background. Well, here's the exciting opportunity. You have children in the home. As you pursue to know God's word, whatever level you're at, and you say, hey, you know what? We are going to seek to be students of God's Word as a family. We're going to seek to learn God's Word together. Your children are one step up from where you were. And maybe their children will be a few steps up from where they were. Are we simply repeating the cycles and the deficiencies of our own life? Or are we seeking to provide a foundation? A faith that leads to faith. But then we get to Moses and we see a second aspect of the higher calling that Jesus has given us. Not only a faith that leads to faith, but a faith that leads to denial. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, so here you have he's a baby, verse 23, now he's grown up, verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now do you notice the contrast? Here in verse 23, he's talking about who his parents truly were. And the example of faith that they had, and that uh, God used that example God used that upbringing. And then after the three months, we're not going to have time to read, but we read in Exodus that um, the child goes to Pharaoh's court, but the mother was still involved in the child's life instilling the foundations of faith in his heart, in his life. And that's why in verse 24, he comes to the realization that when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is talking greater than just earthly lineage. This is talking about spiritual. Because in being fully accepting of what was taking place in Egypt would require him to abandon the God of his people. Yahweh. You see, this was a denial of false identity. Moses must realize his true identity, and in doing so, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I wonder today how many of us are trying to live our Christian life with two identities. And we're a certain way at church. We're a certain way with with our Christian brothers and sisters. But yet we're a completely different way. Whether it be at school. 
at college, at work, with our unsaved individuals, whether they be coworkers, friends, whatnot. We're living with two separate passports, so to speak. And it doesn't work. There must be a denial of false identities in order to truly come and realize your true identity. There's not only a denial of false identity, but a denial of fleeting treasures in verse 25. He, he refused to be called the, uh, Pharaoh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. You see, in refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, what that ultimately was, was choosing to identify himself with the people of God. So verse 25 shows us his refusal and that his refusal was one of association. And in Moses' life here, there was no middle ground. In fact, later in Moses' life, he tells the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 30, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live. God tells, or Moses tells the people of Israel before they enter the promised land, shortly before his death. Joshua says a very similar thing at the end of his life. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, there is no middle ground. There was no other way. And here's the scary part, because verse 25 shows us that to be associated with the people of God, if you have people of God and you have an equal sign, then the other side of that equation is mistreatment. And that is why Jesus says that if we are to follow Him, we must deny ourselves. Because as we've seen throughout this whole series, uh, stemming back from Genesis 3, there is a war going on between the, the seed of God and the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the serpent have tried to persecute and harm the seed of God from the beginning of the fall. All the way back to what we read at the beginning of Hebrews 11 with Cain and Abel. Are we willing to endure hardship, mistreatment, not being on the in crowd, maybe getting overlooked for that promotion, saying no to certain privileges and riches that could be ours if we simply had a me-centered, this-earth perspective? But his refusal and the results, we have to realize, were only temporary. You see, they were fleeting. 
Anything that he could have sought at Pharaoh's court was only fleeting. The fleeting pleasures of sin. Don't we all know in our life as we have given in to our our own desires and we've given in to sin how fleeting those pleasures are? And how long-lasting the consequences of those decisions are? He was willing to align himself with his identity. This was a denial of of a false identity, a denial of fleeting treasures, a denial of empty riches, verse 26 shows us. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth and treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, verse 25 shows us that, that the people of God will suffer But verse 26 shows us that suffering always points us to something greater. Because if we as God's people are going to properly align ourselves with our true identity, that we are God's people, we are not our own people, we are not a people characterized by the system of this world. What that alignment equals is verse 26, that we are now aligned with Christ. We are aligned with His reproaches. You see, verse 26 isn't something that's haphazard. He considered. He deliberately thought about this. And in His thinking, He realizes to align Himself with God is to align Himself with everything that concerns God. He maybe didn't know who Jesus Christ was, but his heart attitude was he aligned himself with, that, with him who which God was to send as we celebrate Christmas, the Christ, the Messiah. And to be aligned with Christ is to, as Paul says, share in his suffering. But to share in his suffering, the Bible says we also share in his glory. You see, this suffering always points to something greater. But the question is, are our eyes beholding the reward? Verse 26 says that he was looking to the reward. Did Moses know all that the reward entailed? No. He didn't have as much revelation as we do with with the completed Word of God. But he knew within himself through the promises that were given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob that we talked about last week, he knew that there was something more than what Pharaoh or the wealth of Egypt had to offer. In other words, there was a longing in his heart for that which truly satisfies, for that which God has promised. And maybe this morning you're here today and you're, uh, you are without Christ. You're, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're, you're, you sense that longing in your heart and you are, you're searching for what will fill that void. And the only thing that fills that void is Christ. Believer, Christian, brother, sister, are your eyes fixed 
on Christ today, He is the reward. A higher call is not only living a life of faith, saying, God, you will use my faith to lead to other people's faith, but it is a faith that leads to denial. But thirdly, verse 27 shows us that a higher call of faith is, a, is answering the call to have a faith that leads to perseverance. You see, verse 27 shows us that Moses' complete motivation was abandonment. By faith he left Egypt. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. If you quickly want to jump back to Exodus 2, this is very interesting. You don't get the context in Hebrews 11, but you get more of the story in Exodus 2. What are the circumstances in which he left Egypt? In Exodus 2, verse 11, it says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that way, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So we see the immediate problem. There was a problem, and Moses flees. But this verse also shows us a greater perspective. Now from the surface, this can be confusing in Hebrews 11, because doesn't Hebrews 11... Verse 27 say that he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king. And doesn't Exodus 2 say that he flees Egypt knowing that what what, what happened, the king's anger would be aroused. So how how do you reconcile these two things? And there's several several, uh, lines of thinking um, of how these are reconciled. But it seems to me that the greatest explanation of this is in the content of what type of fear the author of Hebrews is talking about. Exodus 2 shows us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Moses feared. But what did Moses fear in Exodus 2? Ultimately, he feared the loss of his life because of his actions, right? What the author of Hebrews is emphasizing is not the fear for his life because that was legitimate. I mean, uh, even even a martyr in another country doesn't just simply do something foolish and maybe start street preaching in in communist China or or the Sudan or or somewhere uh, where it's Muslim-driven. No, he's going to use his head and he is going to privately give out the gospel. Because our life is of value to us, is it not? The fear 
that the author of Hebrews is pointing out for us is that, that Moses' fear was not based upon what he could get or could not get out of being associated with Pharaoh, with Egypt. He was not regretting that he was defending his Hebrew brother because he and his heart had aligned himself with his people. He fled for his life. He fled the anger of the king of Pharaoh in being able to take his life, but he did not fear the wrath of the king in taking anything away from him that he so-called possessed as being in Pharaoh's court. That is what, what the author is, is pinpointing here. There, there was nothing that Pharaoh could take from him in, in the sense of identity and association that was a fear to Moses. You see, a fear for his life, but not a fear of identification. This verse shows us that this perseverance did not consist in fear, but he endured, it says, as seeing him who is invisible. You see, his motivation was for that which is not seen. In fact, it was Moses who he says to God, God, would you let me see you? In your glory. And God says, I will let all my goodness pass before you, but you shall not see my face, because no man can look upon God and live. You see, what is, what is the author of Hebrews trying to tell us here? What does the beginning of Hebrews say? It says that our faith consists not in what is seen, but that which is unseen. Paul tells us in Corinthians that we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, our faith is in a person, not just an idea, a concept, or a feeling. That's why uh, we all struggle so much of the time, because we can say one minute, yeah, you know what? I have faith. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do this for God. And then we wake up the next minute, uh, the, the next day, and man, all of that is gone. We feel at the bottom of the barrel. Why? Because what is our faith wrapped up in? Is it our feelings? Is it our concept of how things are going to turn out or what God should do? Or is our faith consistent in, uh, consisted of that which is entirely outside of us? God and His working. The one that Hebrews says in chapter 13, that He is the same yesterday, today, forever. God does not change. God does not fluctuate. God's will and God's plans do not turn at the whim of circumstance. You see, it's this kind of faith that leads to perseverance. The reality 
of what he did not see was greater than the reality of what he did see. Oh, for that kind of faith. But there's a fourth and final aspect of answering this higher call that I want to talk about today. Not only a faith that leads to faith through our example, not only a faith that leads to denial because we realize the true reward, which is Christ and knowing Him more. Not only a faith that leads to perseverance because we are looking to that which is unseen, not placing fear in that which we can see. But answering the higher call of faith involves realizing that this faith that we have is a faith that leads to deliverance. You see, verse 28 says, By faith... He kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You see, this faith that led to deliverance was first of all a faith in God's provision. Exodus 12 recounts for us the story of the Passover. God had given Moses the the instructions for not only he, but all of the, the people in, of Israel that were living in the land of Egypt to keep the Passover. This was a new institution. God says, I am going to do something that I have not done before to display my, my power to Pharaoh. The, the death angel is going to pass through the land of Egypt, kill every firstborn son where there is not blood on the doorposts. And and God gives Moses and the people instructions about the blood on the doorposts and about preparing a lamb and about uh, leaven and traveling out out of Egypt and all of these things because something new was taking place. There was a new institution that God was going to implement with His people. The Passover that is tied to the Exodus. Not only that, not only did he keep the Passover, it says he sprinkled the blood. Sprinkling the blood on the doorposts. That not only was there this new institution, there was this new sacrifice. That while the people of God in the past, as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob traveled around the land in Genesis, they did offer sacrifices. They offered uh, land, uh, sheep and rams, but never in a context such as this. That this lamb has been provided for provision against God's judgment. You see, folks, I would venture to say when we get past all of the surfacey stuff, and this is one of the things that, that when you're working and ministering to people, that there's a lot of fruit and surface issues that come to the surface, but man, you dig through that, you dig through that, you dig through that, and you know what the core root that we find in our lack of faith, it is that we have a lack of faith 
in God's provision that is a result of the true Passover lamb. That we either misunderstand the greatness of what God has given us through His Son, or we think that it's simply something that happened in the past that has no bearing on today, or we think that, that somehow God could give us that which is so precious and yet somehow leave us out on a limb for these lesser needs, everything goes back to the cross. I mean, we need to be like a computer a lot of times and reboot. Getting back to the basics that our basic lack of faith is in God's provision that you know what? Maybe Jesus isn't enough for me in my life. Maybe knowing that I have a destiny because of what Jesus has given me, and I'm not talking about some fruity destiny term that you'll read about a, a TV evangelist talking about. I'm talking about a, a biblically-centered destiny of being a joint heir with Jesus of everything that God has given him for all eternity is ours as well as we, as we rule and reign with him. That we lose sight of that and we start to look at other things and other places for our sense of security. And man, we have got to be people focused back on the cross. Isn't that the same problem that happened with the children of Israel when they went to the wilderness? Every single time that controversy hit, we're, we're reading through, we've been reading through um, some of uh, Exodus and, and some of that narrative of the children of Israel uh, in, in some of our family devotion time. Every time it seems that there's no water, there's no food, guess what happens? Oh, that we were back in Egypt. Oh, that, that we hadn't wandered out here for God to leave us. Is there ever a comment? You know what? God who provided for us that the death angel did not pass uh, into our home and pronounce judgment. That God is the one who is leading us and we are going to trust in that God. And God has a plan and purpose because he has preserved us. Do you ever read of that? Totally different story to the Old Testament if that had happened. But man, we do that every day with Jesus. A lack of faith in God's provision. Because His provision that He has given us is a salvation amidst judgment. See, Exodus 12, 13, God says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Folks, we know that we live in a fallen world. We know that we are fallen people. But just as the Israelites in days of old, we have the promise that God says, when I see the blood, 
I will pass over you. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. You see, folks, in Christ, we are not destined to be destroyed. We may think the suffering we undergo, man, it's destroying me. Man, the circumstances that I'm going through, it's destroying me. But no, that's not the case. God is faithful to His own. God leads His own. God is bringing us who have been saved not out of a land of Egypt, but we have been saved out of the bondage of Egypt, speaking of slavery to sin. We have been delivered from that. We are going through the wilderness, so to speak, awaiting our eternal destiny in the land of promise. The new heaven, the new earth. And man, as we are going through that wilderness, as we are exiles, are we remembering our Passover lamb? Are we clinging to what He has done for us? That we will not be destroyed. God's people can persevere. We look to the sacrifice of Christ. As we close, we remember that a faith that testifies is a faith in action. Every Christian is to live with a higher calling. If there's anything that this example of Moses shows us is the path of immediate gratification is the path of destruction. Have you forgotten the provision that has been given you through Christ? Let's pray. Mm -hmm.